grab a Bible. You need one. I tell you that. I've told you that. And I will always tell you that. Some of the things will be on the board, uh, on the screens. Actually, probably very little today because we're in the same area. So you might as well just get a Bible. And then you can turn to it. And you can read along with me. And the beauty of that is you can take the Bible home. You can't take the screen home, but you can take the Bible home. So uh, it's important that you have one. Get one. Today you will need it. Um, we're in the fourth book now. So we're jumping forward. We've come through Genesis, Exodus. Now we are actually skipping forward because we're trying to cover kind of the story of God through his word. And um, we're not getting everything. So why are you skipping that? Why are you skipping that? Well, go home and read it. You got it. It's his book. And it's right back there. It's free. Go home and read it. Uh, But we're focusing on particular storylines. So we started in the beginning with creation and how God was before creation but created all things, how uh, Adam and Eve, the first created human beings, created in God's image, sinned, and in their decision to do so brought death uh, into the world and sin into all things. And yet God made a promise in that very moment of uh, a, a seed of woman, a, a person, a child of this woman that would come that would change everything, that would restore and defeat the enemy, all that kind of stuff. So since then, we've kind of been following that seed along. There came Noah and the flood. Uh, there came a focus on Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And then Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And then Israel had how many sons? Twelve, who became the twelve tribes. Uh, then uh, we focused on some of those, Joseph and others. Moved into a time when they were in exile in Egypt. God delivered them from that exile, used Moses. Moses did not deliver them. God delivered them, but used Moses as a, a tool in doing that. They crossed the sea. They went to the promised land. They rebelled at the promised land, said, no way. God said, Rome in the desert then for 40 years. Um, Prior to that, they landed at Mount Sinai and met God live and in person, received the law. Um, and today is actually the anniversary of that. Today is Shavuot, is what is called in Hebrew. It's a huge day on their calendar. It is the day that is 49 days after Passover. Uh, and it commemorates the day that God gave the word on Mount Sinai. So they're all celebrating that today, the day that God gave the word on Mount Sinai. There's another date in the Bible that aligns with that. Do you know what it is? New Testament has a different word for it, but it's the same holiday. Pentecost, yeah. So Pentecost, Penta is five. So Pentecost is 49 days after Passover uh, when... God's word came down on the disciples in the form of tongues of fire. We can talk about all that when we get there. But anyway, cool little note, because we just did Sinai, you know, and now today is a day that commemorates that. And it's also wild. Pastor and I were talking about it last night. I can't believe it's been 49 days since Easter. That's kind of weird. So Passover and Easter, you know. Anyway, okay. So they have been wandering 40 years. They're coming back to the promised land, and that's where we're landing today. And the title we're looking at today is Can You Hear Me Now? I know that's funny, and Molly just went with it and stuck the donkey in there and everything. So uh, there are sheets back there. If you need one, grab one. You can take notes on it. Uh, I love Deidre's prayer. The notes are for the people you will talk to. They might be for you too, but take them so you can remember to share what you what God shows you. So can you hear me now? Verizon commercial, most of you know it. Uh, it is funny, but uh, the story today is not actually very funny. In fact, it's pretty heavy. Uh, 
pretty heavy situation, a pretty heavy scenario. It's anything really but funny. And the stakes in this story are really high. And ultimately, as silly as it is, it does take a talking donkey to make a man hear hear God. So go to Numbers chapter 22. That's where we are. And I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll lay into this and uh, move as quick as we can through it. Um, Numbers 22, verse 34 says, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I'll turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is amazing. Say that every week, but it is amazing. And I'm always reminded each week of how amazing it truly is. Uh, It is yours, not mine. I don't ever want my words to be amazing. I don't ever want my delivery per se to be amazing i count it a privilege to hold a microphone but lord it's just it's your word it's not mine i want to learn first and i thank you that you help me to do that pray today as we unpack this that you're glorified and that it changes our lives and we ask it in christ's name amen so this week when i was preparing for this i have a regular phone call every week with a pastor friend of mine we've been doing this he's in virginia but we've been doing this for, uh, I don't even know, six or eight years now. And uh, so I was on the phone with him, and he's telling me about this guy who's in his church. And he's new to the church he's pastoring in Virginia now. And he was telling me about this guy in his church that is, uh, considers himself super important, this guy, and, uh, and his wife and his kids too, but him in particular. And despite always coming in very late, comes in like halfway through the sermon, sits down, leaves early with his whole family, um, despite all of that, he thinks he's the guy. He has a, He's an attorney, and he has this AAU travel basketball program that he runs, and he does it in their gym. And all these teenagers pay a lot of money to do it. And he's used that gym without requirements at all, despite the fact that other people in the gym, that want to use the gym have to pay to use it, even ministries of the church. Uh, he never shares the gospel or does anything like that, although he claims that he is a minister, and he assumes because he's a member of the church and an important financial one that he can have the gym whenever he feels like it, and first and foremost. Well, what ended up happening that brought all this up was there was a scheduling issue where a ministry of the church needed the gym and got it, and it booted him off his schedule, and he lost his mind, uh, lost his mind. For weeks now, apparently, he's been creating scenes, huge scenes. He's going to one pastor after the next, yelling, screaming. He's sent e- long emails. He's made long posts. He's done all kinds of stuff. He's shown up at, at the church at the end of a sermon, walked up and screamed at him in front of the whole church before he even got off the stage. Uh, and now, apparently, has demanded his rights, he says, as a member of the church and wants the uh, budgets and the bylaws because as an attorney, he's going to find a way to get repercussions you know, for missing a basketball program in a church gym. You know, He claims to be this solid Christian that's seeking to honor the Lord with basketball, but it's obviously his own program for his own glory. And he's even attempting to use his finances and his skills as an attorney to force an agenda and to threaten and undermine the pastor and the church itself. And I told my friend, 
This guy needs an angel with a sword and a talking donkey to straighten him out. And if you know the story, you know why I say that, because that's what we're looking at today. The scenario is not far from that, um, but with uh, much greater ramifications for sure. And I always put like a little one-sentence statement on the sheet, so if you have it, you already have it. If you don't, that's okay. It says this, God knows our intentions, so we need to be careful to hear and speak his word for his glory and not our gain. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that as a pastor. I'm saying that, period. Period. When we last left Israel, as I said, they were headed to the promised land. And as they get close, they camp in Moab, which is an area that's modern-day Jordan. So if you know the modern map, that's where it would have been. And Israel's only passing through that area, but there's so many of them. There's millions of them. And because of the stories of Exodus that have spread, the king of that region, Balak, is incredibly intimidated and afraid. And so he decides he wants to attack them before things get crazy or before they do something. So he knows he or he believes he needs spiritual help to do that. So he hires this very famous, well-known wizard prophet named Balaam, all right? And he hires him to come and curse him. And Balaam actually consults God, the God of Israel, first. And we'll come back to that in just a second. Uh, but when he gets there to do what he's been hired to do, he goes to this high place overlooking the, uh, the, where Israel's camp below. And remember, there's millions of them. And he's in this high place mountaintop area looking down on them, maybe like on the top of Camelback or something. Looking down at him where they're at, and he does this ceremony and sacrifices and goes to pronounce a curse on him. But instead, what happens if you know the story? A blessing comes out of his mouth instead of a curse. And Balak can't believe it. What are you doing? I heard you to curse him. You just blessed him. So let's go over to this mountain and try again. Apparently the setting is wrong. <laughs> so they go to Piestawa Peak, you know, and they go up it. They go whichever next one, and they try again. And again, he blesses them. Three times that happens, and he blesses them all three times. Balak is furious, and his words, Balaam's words, are poetic and they're prophetic, but they are the exact opposite of what he probably intended to say. Uh, in fact, Jewish tradition holds that everything out of his mouth was the polar opposite of what he intended to say. Don't know that, but to give you an idea, perhaps he meant to say, may Israel's numbers decrease and become nothing and may they die by the sword and famine and disease. Maybe he meant to say that. But what he actually said is in Numbers 23, verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? This huge. Let me, himself, Balaam, Balak, the people he's with, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. So he's literally... Saying the opposite of what he intends to say. Balak's probably saying, what do you mean? I want him to die. Why do you want our end to be like their end? You know, Uh, maybe he meant to say something like, may God bless us and curse Israel. Maybe he meant to. And instead he said, Numbers 24, there in verse 9. Blessed are those who bless you, Israel, and cursed are those who curse you. Imagine Balak. I paid good money for this. Um, He even proclaims the Messiah, well, actually multiple times, but one very significant time, the Messiah coming in Israel in Numbers 24 in verse 17. This is a very uh, frequently referenced uh, prophecy about the Messiah. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. So in other words, I see 
this person. He's, it's, he's not right. He's not coming soon, but he's coming. He's not close, but he's coming. And it says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter. That's a king. Kings had the scepter, the rule. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and it shall crush the forehead of Moab. It goes on, but man, this Moab, Moab that hired him to do this. And he's saying, man, there's a king that's going to come. And he's going to be identified by a star. That happened, huh? Jesus born in Bethlehem. What's the most famous part of that story? Anyway, Balaam's attempts to curse him, I think, are a lot like what Jesus dealt with when he was on the earth. If you know the story, when Christ is on the earth, all of his enemies are constantly trying to find ways to destroy him. To curse him. They're saying horrible things about him. They are trying to trick and entrap him. And he turns all of their statements into teachings about himself and his kingdom. In essence, everything they attempt to do to destroy him blesses God, in a sense. So let's zoom back in here because God's making clear, clear. That he controls his people, he controls their destiny, he controls his plans for the future, and he even controls the mouth of this famous pagan wizard. So let's zoom back in. We're not going to go through it all, but let's zoom back into a spot. You can read the whole story. It's several chapters in your own time. But uh, let's go back to the beginning, chapter 22. Balak attempts to hire Balaam, and he sends these elders with money. And in verse 6, it says, come now. This is what he's asking Balaam to do back at the beginning. Come now, curse this People for me, since they're too mighty for me, perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that whom you bless, Balaam, whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Can people actually curse somebody? Got to think about that for a minute. Depending on who you ask, there might be, if we took a poll, blind, blind poll in the room, there might be some disagreement. Uh, I will say this, can people, do people have the power to curse people? No. Do spirits working through people have the power to curse people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most definitely, absolutely. Paul said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with what? Principalities, powers, spiritual forces. Um, It's not a force if it can't do anything. It's not a power if it's powerless. All right? So absolutely, there are spiritual forces that can do anything. Can Balaam the man do anything? No. Can a spiritual force through Balaam the man do something? Absolutely. What? I don't know. I'm not not trying to sort all that out. But yes, it has the power to for sure. But God's telling, ironically, Balaam, when he goes to God, he tells, tells the exact opposite of what Balak said. Balak said, I know that whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. Well, in chapter 22 and verse 12, when, God, when Balaam goes to God, God says, you shall not go with them. You can underline it. You shall not go with them. You shall not curse them. For what? They are blessed. Not I'm going to bless them. They already are blessed. They are my kid, my kids. That's what he's saying in essence. They are blessed. So outright, don't curse. I, I don't care who you curse is cursed and who you bless is blessed. I'm telling you, don't because they're mine and they are blessed because of that. But there's no relationship here between Jehovah Yahweh, I am, the God of Israel. There's no relationship between him and Balaam. It seems odd that he goes to talk to him. 
But it really wouldn't have been because any pagan wizard, witch, whatever you want to call it, is going to seek the God of the people that they are addressing. If he were to go to attempt to do something to Egypt, he would have sought the gods of Egypt, uh, be that imaginary or be that demons. He would have addressed, he would have known that, and he would have known about the Red Sea. Absolutely promise you, he would have known about God of Israel parting the Red Sea and them coming across. It wasn't that long ago. It was in his generation. He was alive, likely. Uh, He would have known about Egypt and all the plagues and all the things that went on. So he went to address this God of Israel just to see. And what's wild is he doesn't seem surprised that he gets an answer from God. And I think that's, this is just me now, just me. But I think that's probably telling you that he's used to getting one. Is he talking to demons? Yes, I would argue. So I I feel like he's used to getting an answer from what he calls a God, a spirit or spirits or whatever. And so God himself, the God, doesn't doesn't say he responds with lightning and thunder and fire from above and terrifying whatever. Just says he responds. Just says he responds. So perhaps Balaam doesn't treat this that much different than he does in the other scenario. So why, though, would God respond to a pagan witch? Same reason he does anything, right? For his glory. He's going to get his glory out of this. He's going to display to this person, to this king, and to us today, thousands of years later, through this scenario he's going to display to us who he is who his people are and get his glory even from using Balaam's tongue like the tongue of a donkey in a sense so uh and Balaam for you know for a moment he does respect God's word there for a second and he says no I'm not going to go maybe he's just actually hoping for a better deal maybe he's holding out but he replies and he says no I'm not going to go God said no so Balak sends back princes and more of them and more famous people and uh, offers him respect and honor all over Moab and, and, and money and all these things. But when they come back with all of that, what should Balaam say immediately? No. It's already been said. No. But instead, what does Balaam do? Oh, let me go back and ask God again. Let me go back and ask him again. Listen to me. Never let sin linger for the sake of getting a yes. Never let sin linger for the hope or sake of getting a yes. If it's a no, it will forever be no. Forever be no. But God... Oddly, responds the second time, and he says this. Look at Numbers 22, look at verse 20. God came to Balaam at night, and he said, If the men have come to call you, not not me, not God, they come to call you. If they come to call you, then rise. Go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But the very next verse, verse 22, says, But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way again as his adversary. So why did he, he said go, what did he get mad about? Well, you have to read it, and you have to understand the way it's being said. What God is saying in verse 20 is more like this. Oh, oh, well, I know I said no, but you're back here again. So, okay, so, oh, well, if these guys have come 
you know, for all the way here for you, you know, Mr. Balaam. Well, then by all means, go. Sarcasm. And he's saying, but only say what I say. Well, that's a that's already a dead end street. Why? Because what had God said? No. So in other words, yeah, by all means, if they came for you, big boy, then go ahead and go. But only say no. But Balaam, so why would anybody go? Why would you go? Why would I? Nobody would go. But instead, he hops out of bed and saddles his donkey in a great big hurry. He's all gleeful and excited and and (laughs) ready to race off and have this grand time. He's plotting to get what he wants. You know what I'm saying? He's plotting to get what he wants. His heart's giving himself away. And we know this guy's not seeking a relationship with God because God's response is to be his adversary. Don't let that miss blow over, man. Adversary. Look, he's the angel here. God is this angel. This angel is God in this moment. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he is going to kill him. He's going to kill him. You'll see that. He outright says it a minute. Not allow him to be killed. Not like reprimand him swiftly. Not convict his heart. You know, not not ground him for a week and take away his toys. You know, he's going to kill him. What what is it you you seek in life? If you were to sit down and write it out, what is it? Money, success on your job, power, respect, husband. I don't know what is what is like your life aimed at and your goals set at you better be careful along the way you don't make god your adversary and jesus said you're either for me or what against me so you can weigh that one out according to jesus you're already in one of those categories um and you don't think that's any big deal ask egypt what it was like to have god as their adversary ask egypt what it was like so Let's take a quick chunk. Verse 22. So here's how it rolls out. We're going to cover all this real quick. Uh, it says, now he was riding on the donkey. That's like a wealthy mode of transport back in that day. So he's showing out. Like he's probably decked. He's got, I probably got that donkey laid up and looks fancy and everything else. He's riding in his Bentley, you know. And his two servants are with him on each side. And the donkey saw, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road. With a drawn sword in his hand. Now we've talked about this character of the angel of the Lord before. We'll talk about him again even in, even in the next week or two. Um, it is the presence of God. Not all angels, but this particular character is. And we know that from context. And you'll see, you'll see here. Standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into a field. So trot, 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 trot. Up oh, the donkey turns and goes straight off the road into the field. All right. Because he saw this God, this angel. And Balaam struck the donkey. So he smacks the donkey with a rod or something and to turn her back into the road. And then the angel stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. So wherever he went off the road, it was into a vineyard. And there's some kind of wall built there or whatever that the, an alleyway per se that this, this uh, donkey has bolted straight into with him on his back. And now, now the angel is in front of him, right in the, in the middle of this. And when the donkey saw, verse 25, again, the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. So when she sees that there's nowhere to go, and now the angel's in front of him, uh, 
she, it, she lays up against the wall, like just pushes against the wall and all, and his leg gets caught up in it, you know. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord went a little further ahead and stood in a narrow place. So apparently this alleyway is narrowing where there was no way, nowhere, no way, excuse me, to turn either to right or left. And when the donkey saw, look how many times this, 23, the donkey saw, 25, the donkey saw, 27, the donkey saw, the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So she just collapses on the ground and Balaam anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff three times. Three times a donkey saw what Balaam was too blind to see. Yet he's a famous wizard and a famous prophet. And don't think that, don't, don't go over into the category of, well, animals have this special sixth sense and this animal sensed this. What? No, that's not the case. An animal, you know, donkeys see like people see. You know, this, he was there. The donkey saw it. The issue is not that the donkey could see. The issue is that the man was blind. All right. Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. So the donkey doesn't naturally talk. I know we all know that, but let's just go on and say it. Uh, God supernaturally opens this mouth of this donkey. In other words, what that means is made her audibly understandable. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you made me a fool. I look like an idiot. You're running me all over the place, you know. And he's saying, you made me a fool. I wish I had my sword in my hand, but I'd just kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life long to this day? I've been carrying you all over the place your whole life. Is it my habit to treat you this way? Dummy, I love that. This, this is just what it means. Dummy, don't you think. I'm doing this for a reason. You know, that's literally what he's with. We've been together all this time. You think I'm really this stupid. There's a reason I'm doing this. And he said, no. Now, automatically, it's weird that he's having a conversation. I get that. And there's no attempt to explain that. Uh, I think perhaps it's all happening so fast and he's so mad that he hasn't even realized in this split second that he's talking to a donkey. And uh, I don't know if. You've ever been there? I know people who, who have, and I've probably been close a few times. But you get so overcome with anger, so overcome with frustration and anger that you're acting completely irrational. You know, you're doing something that's totally irrational to the point that you wake up and you think, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? How'd that work out for you, by the way? You know, uh, verse 31 says, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. So now he opens Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. Now, I don't know what that looked like, but very clearly it was terrifying. He bowed down on his face uh, and fell on his face. So he hits the ground, scared to death, humility, please don't kill me. The and sword drawn, by the way, doesn't mean he's just doing this. You know, it's, an, it's like he's fixing the swing, you, you know, gun drawn and cocked, modern day language. All right. So. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? What are you mad at the donkey for? I've come out to it. You want to be mad at somebody, big boy? You want to take a sword to somebody? Here I am. I'm the one you're mad at, not the donkey. I'm the one that said, no, go ahead. Behold, I've come to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. So again, the angel speaking of me. This is another reason why you could argue that this is God's presence there. 
the angel is saying, you're against me and I'm against you. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she'd not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is the if it, if it is evil in your sight, I'll turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. Again, pointing to the fact that this is God's presence there. Only say what I say. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. You could put right there, permitted, but not blessed. You know, permitted, but not blessed. Is that a dangerous place to be? Just think about it for a minute. Is that a dangerous place to be? Why would you ever accept that scenario? What good is possibly going to come to your life from a situation you are permitted to do, but God would never bless? And just as God made a donkey open his mouth, he's fixing to make Balaam open his mouth. And he's going to control it. And we know Balaam is not repentant here, despite his, I have sinned, I did not. We know he's not repentant because he says, if it's evil in your sight, was it evil in his sight? What had God said? Don't go. So absolutely it's evil if you go. I said don't. You already went. Now I'm ready to kill you. Now you're asking again if it's evil. And this dude just really, man. Doesn't get it. And ultimately, Balaam finds a way to get paid, for the record. Um, we already read through. We already talked about it. He goes and everything comes out of his mouth a blessing instead. And you would think that would straighten you out. You know, you would think after an angel almost killed you, after every you open your mouth to curse and everything that comes out is a blessing, you would think that would straighten you out. But instead, Balaam finds a way to get paid. You can read it in your own time, but in chapter 25... He suggests using the women of Moab to go seduce the men into following idols, the men of Israel into following. So instead of just outright cursing them, I got a plan. Why don't we send some of these, you know, fine ladies down there and they can seduce the men. And when the men fall for them, they can lead them off to worshiping idols. And that's exactly what happens. And it's referred to several times later in Scripture. I'll give you a couple. Revelation 2 uh, verse 14 says, and these should be up there. But I have a few things against you. You have sought some there. He sought writing to a church who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So even, you know, thousand plus years later, when John is pinning down Revelation, God himself tells John, that this sin of Balaam, how he led Balak to cause the people to sin. Jude chapter, uh, Jude only has one chapter, so verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. So that tells you a little bit, and perished. So that tells you a little bit about what Balaam's heart was doing, right? What was he after? Gain. Wealth, power, riches, more. That's really all that means, right? More. More what? Of whatever. 
Women, more of them. Money, more of it. Fame, more of it. Power, more of it. Opportunity, more of it. Job, more of it. More. That was his goal in everything that he was doing. And it says in this case with Jude that these people abandoned themselves to it like Balaam did. Think about that a minute. Balaam has seen God, been threatened by God, spoken to God, seen God turn his own mouth into saying something else. But he was so abandoned to gain that even that didn't change his mind. Second Peter 2 verse 15 says... Uh, forsaking the right way, speaking about these people at this time, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his transgressions by a speechless donkey that spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Doesn't say he repented or any of that, just says in this moment this donkey restrained his madness by speaking. But we know ultimately, because scripture says, Ultimately, later on in Numbers 31.8, it gets Balaam killed. The men of Israel kill him at God's lead. And so ultimately, it leads to Balaam's death. So what do we do with all this? Let's wrap it up. What do we do with all this? Well, I already gave you the one sentence. God knows our intentions. So we need to be careful to hear him and speak only what his word says for his glory and not our gain. That sounds simple, but it's put it in your head. In other words, are we putting words into God's mouth or is he putting words into ours? And he's not just going to stick them in there. You got to get in his word and learn it. Is he putting words in our mouth or are we uh, putting words in his? When you're speaking for God, like somebody asks you, what does the Bible say about Or what do you think God thinks about? And we could go down that list, right? There's plenty of modern day scenarios for that one. Uh, Whenever we go to say that, and we're speaking for God at that point, is your response full of things that aren't found in his word? They might even be right. They might even be okay or good, but they're not from his word. Maybe because it bores you to talk about Only his word with somebody. Maybe because you don't know enough of his word to talk about only his word with somebody without putting some kind of current agenda in there. You feel like people won't care. Man, nobody's going to care if I don't preach about modern modern scenario. If I don't talk about the news, nobody wants to hear me talk about some old prophet riding a donkey. Like, they want to know about what's happening now. we got to talk about newsworthy stuff. And I know I just did that last week, so I'm a bit of a hypocrite here. But but you know what I'm saying. If that's all you're talking about when you're given the chance to talk about God, does what you say about God point, listen, does what you say about God point people to Jesus or just affect how they vote? And I'm not having a political conversation. I'm just making a statement. Does what you say about Jesus, I mean about God, point people to Jesus? Or does it just change the way they make their political decisions or their life decisions or whatever? Because there's plenty of people that have been doing dumb things that are doing good things now. Or plenty of people that have been doing things that you disagreed with that are doing things you agree with now. But 
Do they know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? What's your motive when you talk about God? Are you seeking to glorify him or gain attention for yourself? Hey, I know the answer. Hey, I can answer that one. Hey, yeah, I know that one. Hey, I've been studying that one for a long time. Oh, I grew up with that one. Oh, I can show you where that is. Even if you're opening this Bible, are you opening it with gleefully, not because they want to see the truth, but because you know already, you know? Are you seeking to bring honor to him or make your own agenda honored? And when I say you, understand I wrote this to me first. I always write whatever I write to me first. Be careful, finally, who you curse. And I'm not saying you go practice witchcraft and curse people, but you know what I mean. Be careful who you curse because it might surprise you who God has blessed. Now, I'm not saying he's blessed somebody because they were perfect and earned it. Because Israel was far from perfect. Remember, Israel, a whole generation had died in the wilderness. So he didn't bless them because they were super perfect. He blessed them because he chose to bless them and set his heart in love on them. So be careful who you curse because it might surprise you who God has blessed. Um, Let me wrap this up. If you don't mind, stand up with me and... uh, I always like to take a minute and just kind of close your eyes, uh, not not trying to make a uh, emotional stand or some kind of wild moment. But if you don't mind, just close your eyes for a second. And I do that mainly because I, I want us to focus on what's been said for just a minute, um, not what I've said, what God's word said. What does he have to do to get our attention? Is it got to stand in your way? Is he standing in your way as a friend or as an adversary? How close are you to disaster? How close are you to death? Is it going to take a, an animal speaking for you to believe? Balaam saw something, whether he uh, believed it or not, he saw a king who was coming. That king is Jesus. That king did come. Uh, And that king is most certainly coming again. But he didn't come uh, to make donkeys talk or to do any of those things. He came to conquer the greatest enemy that we all have. Far greater than Moab, far greater than anything else, and that's death. An enemy we have no hope of beating. He went to the cross because death was required to defeat death. Uh, We sin. We face death because of sin. He was sinless. He didn't sin, but he took our sins on him and went to that cross and died with him. He was buried in a grave for the purpose of defeating that grave. And three days later, he most definitely defeated it, making himself known as king of the universe, as creator and ruler and authority above all authorities. He is that king. And because of that, he is your king. He is your creator. And the Bible says out of love, he created you. Out of love, he conquered death for you. Out of love, he made a way for you to be with him. And if you're here today and you haven't made any decision to put your faith in him, that's where it has to start. And I pray you do that today. You don't, you don't have to say anything I say, but you just tell him. 
Lord, I trust you are who you say you are. I believe that what you've done is the truth. I can't explain it. I don't know that I understand it completely, but I believe it to be true. That you are who you say you are. And that you did what you say you did. And I know I need that because I know without a doubt I am a sinner who faces death with no hope. If you can say that, the word of God says that he will indwell you with his spirit and guide you and love you and carry you. And that that love that he has for you will be what you embrace when you uh, face death. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for everybody that's here. Lord, I pray if anybody today has given their life to you for the first time that they wouldn't walk out of here before they tell me or tell somebody. Um, Lord, if there's people that are wrestling with it, I pray they wouldn't leave out of here until they talk about it. Uh, Help us all to be faithful to your word and to you. Help us all voluntarily give our mouths to you, that you speak whatever you want and never force us to say it. Lord, I pray you protect us from becoming an adversary to you. Let us be glorifying to you in our words. And we ask all these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.